Si me levanto temprano, fresco y curado, claro y feliz Y te digo voy al bosque para aliviarme de ti Sabe que dentro tengo un tesoro que me llega a la raíz Si luego vuelvo cargado con muchas flores, mucho color Y te las pongo en la risa, en la ternura, en la voz Es que he mojado en flor mi camisa para teñir su sudor Pero si un día me demoro, no te impaciente, yo volveré más tarde. Será que la más profunda alegría me habrá seguido la rabia ese día. La rabia simple del hombre silvestre, la rabia bomba, la rabia de muerte. Se me ha podrido el cariño La rabia madre, por Dios tengo frío La rabia es mío, eso es mío, solo mío
CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Inkstead Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. Just don't mind me adjusting the mic. Um, my guest today is the wonderful Merrick Bennett. Um, I guess I should mention that we're on CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, out at lovely Vancouver uh, University, British Columbia campus, where it is a typical Vancouver October day, October 1st, and my feet are wet as I'm sure everyone else at campus is as well. How are you doing today, Merrick? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, other than the wet feet, you know? it's uh, that, that comes to be expected with Vancouver. I really should be more prepared and have the whole hip waders happening, but that'll be for another day. You guys get a lot of rain? Oh, yeah. It's uh, quite known, Vancouver and Seattle and uh, surrounding oh, yeah. areas for being so... Uh, inundated with non-stop uh, downpours pretty much straight from about now till about may oh gosh i love it <laughs> yeah well it's i i was out there one winter in seattle and it was really nice to not be frozen all the time but i, I think you get colder in the rain sometimes you do you do in fact uh just this last winter we actually had a winter with um degrees of like negative 12 and some pretty big snowfalls for vancouver standards and it was a nice change it wasn't uh you know you're like negative 12 and it was nice <laughs> it was nice um our i should mention uh merrick you're in henniker is that the name of this town yeah henniker Hen- new hampshire new hampshire um they say it's the only one on earth but i i haven't been everywhere to check that out the only Hem- Hen- henniker yeah, that's what they say. It's an odd name. Is it Dutch? Well, actually, there's a. I, I, my understanding is there's a some kind of uh, aristocratic family or or title in England that is Henniker. And when the town got together in the 1700s, they wanted to name it New Marlborough. And the governor or somebody um, high up said, "Actually, you're going to name it after my friend Lord Henniker." So. <laughs> That's how they got it. And and sometimes the college has um, one of the Henniker family come to visit as visiting, uh, not royalty, but... Uh, Dignitaries? Yeah, namesakes. <laughs> now, did you, have you lived there your whole life, or is this somewhere you've kind of chosen to go to? I was born here, um, and uh, my, my grandparents and great-grandparents lived here, too. Um, and I was born here, and I moved away for school and lived in a in a few places and have come back here actually but it's a college town yeah it's a small <laughs> town but it feels a little bigger than than a town its size would otherwise because it's got a college and a ski area and gigantic open face gravel mines and all sorts of neat stuff now i guess we'll let people know your comics work we have a selection here to chat about thankfully it's always good to have more than one comic I think there should always be lots of comics. Uh, yeah. People should make lots of comics. Um, I guess Why the, not? the the main thing that we're going to discuss is the Nicaragua Comics Travel Journal, as well as uh, Breakfast at Mimi's, which is a collection from your Mimi's Donut Zine, an ongoing. I think the latest one I was able to scrounge to my house is number 18. Is that your uh, latest issue? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my comics are a bit of a mess right now. I'm cleaning them up, so. <laughs> <laughs> Not everything is together. And the other one is your collection of uh, 24-hour comics, uh, Hour 72. Yes. 
Can you imagine doing three 24-hour comics in a row? I couldn't. I didn't. That's not. I didn't do them in a row. <laughs> I know, but yeah. could you? <laughs> oh, seventy-two hours straight. That would be. Yeah, I, I think they would get progressively less and less readable. <sighs> so you could be like uh, art house twenty-four hour comics. Right. <laughs> yeah, it would be crumpled paper and tears. But <laughs> <laughs> now you have a particular passion for the medium within itself. Not. I see it kind of a little different from most other folks where cartoonists this is their thing this is what they do but i kind of feel with you as you see comics um having a function is that a good way of putting it yeah i guess so yeah i'm always sort of i I love it when people raise questions about my work or their work or any work and it's and it's like oh yeah you're probably right (laughs) of course (laughs) yeah i sort i guess i sort of come out of uh Maybe it's maybe it's my Yankee background where it's like, well, if you're going to do something, it better have a point and better not cost too much and uh, you know all that. So so I just figure, well, sure, it's it's art, but what's its function? What work does it do in society? So yeah, yeah, sure. How did you originally get into comics and kind of go from there with your comics? Uh, well, that's interesting. I um, I guess in issue 18, the last Mimi's Donut scene, I just put out. Um, last summer i started getting into that in the last couple pages i don't know if you remember it it, i i came across this notebook from when i was about five years old in 1980 uh and it's a it's a collectible empire strikes back notebook (laughs) and when you flip through it page after page just has these it has these drawings of i don't know luke skywalker and um boba fett and all these and, and micronauts and whatever else was in the popular mind at that time. And and as you flip through page to page, all the drawings start, they sort of refer to each other and tell these stories. And I, that's the earliest I can see myself using comics, like around three, four, five, just turning pages in a notebook and, and using them to tell a story. Um, and, and just as a way of, because I'm sure I just saw these movies as a kid, didn't really understand what they were about, but knew that I liked flashing lights and loud spaceships, (laughs) um, people having lightsaber duels and things like that. And and I'd just come home and and be like, oh, I want to keep that story going in my head. I want to retell it or tell a different story or combine some of those characters. And the the way I could do that is by picking up a notebook and making lines in it, I guess. So, So it helped me understand what i was seeing in the world or in a movie that which you know when you're that young it's sort of all the same thing (laughs) oh how star wars has shaped so many of our minds yeah it's kind of scary (laughs) when i look back (laughs) at it no and there weren't of course there weren't vcrs or youtube or anything in those days so you'd see the movie and it's like to to see it again i've got to get my parents to take me again and that's not going to happen so i guess i'll well, here, let's start drawing it. Did you collect the toys? Oh, yeah, yeah. They were and amazing. I, I had one friend um, who I get together with him, and we go through and reenact the movies. Between the two of us, we knew pretty much all the lines, and we'd act it out and have different areas of the house be different scenes and different planets and stuff, and just try to really get in touch with the... I think it was sort of a, a mythology to us, and we were just kind of reenacting it in these passion plays of... Luke on Dagobah and all that sort of stuff. So I, I initiate the passion like, of the Luke. Yeah, right. 
It, it, it was for us. Um, but I think in issue 18, I really I got back to that notebook, and of course I was so young I couldn't write anything. But as I looked through those pictures, it all came back to me, and I remembered what they were saying and doing, and it was kind of, I don't know, it was kind of dreamlike. Um, so I started, I'm starting to drop a couple pages into each issue of my mail order zine that I do, uh, just to kind of explore that, putting the words back in that my five-year-old um, storyteller wanted to have in there, and changing some of them, of course, because I think, I, I hope I've changed a little in the past 30 years. Well, I'm sure your grammar is a lot stronger now. Right, right. My spelling's a little better, and I have spell check now. So there we go. Now, were you into zine culture as well? Growing up as a teen and twenties. Yeah, it's funny. My first impulse is no, not at all. But then I realize, I realize every now and then I realize, wait a minute. I used to do a skateboard zine in the nineteen eighties when <laughs> I was like fourteen or something, and and I got you know those um. I don't know, the showcase things that you get in school to do a fundraiser for a field trip or something where you're supposed to sell all this cheap stuff to your family and friends and raise money. And I remember winning a camera in that. And the cheapest film was black and white, so I'd just get all these rolls of black and white, and then we'd go hang around in town and take pictures of each other riding our bikes off of things and skateboarding. And then I'd take those pictures and get them developed and um, sort of, just hold it just with the printouts of those pictures. I mean, they weren't called printouts then. The, you know, the little printed, glossy pictures. <laughs> the photos. Them. Yeah, they were called photos back then. And I'd paste them up on what we called paper, and I'd take it to a copy machine and, uh, and make copies and sell them for 50 cents or whatever to all the people who were in it, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess that was zine culture in a way. I was reading Thrasher and Transworld Skateboarding and all that, and every now and then I'd draw a little cartoon in it and stuff but i didn't really see it as, it definitely wasn't a comic although I, well you know we'd we'd do the how-to's we'd be like how to do this one trick that i know and we'd <laughs> and we didn't have a camera that would take bursts of photos so we'd have to try to get the photo at different points during the trick and do the trick 20 times and take a photo a little later each time and we'd do these sequences so i guess that you know that's images and sequence but you know, in all my years, I can never figure out how to do an ollie. Oh. I just couldn't get it. Oh, I'll have to um, put it in my next comic or something. Oh, it's, don't worry. Don't worry. People tried to show me. Plenty <laughs> of friends. But it was just odd and kind of sad in a way. Yeah. You know, it's like the basic trick. It's like not being able to ride a bike. You just you can't ollie. It's like, well, maybe you have a, an ollie disability or something. There we go. Do you think I could get government support for that? You have OD. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You you get an individual skateboarding plan for that, and we'll and we'll there hook we you go. up with a tutor and make sure you have uh, the modifications you need. Weren't ODs the uh, the really good screws you'd use on skateboards? ODs. Maybe I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I'm this not is, even going to try to make a joke out of that. No, it's uh, <laughs> year, year, years gone by. And my memory is a sieve. Yeah. So when did you uh, revisit comics? What pulled you back into this uh, foul beast that we all love? Oh, gosh. I I have so many wasted years. I, I feel sad and happy at the same time <laughs> looking back. Because, I mean, if I, had, if I had realized the sheer power of comics when I was a teenager, I probably would never have 
done half the things I've done in life. You know, I would be at my desk drawing all the time. But I used to draw a lot, and I was always the kid who could draw. And I know, I usually tell my students, like in middle school, I realized that that was totally a liability with the kind of artwork everyone was doing because the best artists that my fa- I won't say the best artists, my favorite artwork in our class in middle school was going on in the back row with these kids who were probably failing art class, but um, <laughs> but could draw incredible, simple, awkward, funny cartoons of teachers and people in the class. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, that was my first realization that there's something different between what they teach you in art class and what this cartooning thing is that we do. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, and, and seeing that this kid who who is known as someone who can't draw you know he does a little doodle in the margin of his notebook and that's all i want to look at and laugh at you know all through science class i guess i got a lot of detentions in middle school um maybe as part of that time wasted now (laughs) they didn't teach you nothing (laughs) well they they did they did um i i learned um i think in middle school i learned okay I've got to decide what I'm going to do here. <laughs> it's not okay to just kind of bounce around and do crazy things all the time. Um, and then I think in high school I was on the student newspaper. It was like, oh, so close to uh, coming coming into being as a comics artist. I was on the student newspaper. I would do a lot of, we did a lot of, our approach was kind of like the, the Onion, you know that? Mm-hmm. Do you have that newspaper out west? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, with the, the website. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, it was Our approach was sort of like that. Let's raise some awareness of news in the school, but also just be really silly and funny. And um, Well, we tried. But I didn't do any comics for them, I don't think. And then I just remember sitting in college, I think my sophomore year. I'd been going to college for like a year and a couple months. And I was sitting in the dining hall one specific night, and I was reading the student paper, and they had the second page was student comics, and they had some blank space because I guess people weren't submitting. And I was reading down through the student comics, um, you know, drawn by the students there, and I, I found myself thinking, man, I wish someone would do a, a good comic, you know, like a, I don't know, a science fiction comic or something. These all these gag comics just aren't doing it for me. And and then I sort of paused and thought wait a minute, anybody could do a comic. (laughs) You can can do it with stick figures or you can do it however you want to draw it. So I should just do a comic. If I want to see a comic that's a sci-fi comic, I guess I have to do it. And I went home back to my dorm room that night and um, wrote up this long list of potential titles and then started everyone I met. I'd I'd say, wait, I got to read you a list of titles, which would make the best title for a comic strip. And uh, of course I ended up going back to the first one and then I, took out i just had a ballpoint pen and i drew a couple strips on this one piece of paper like a three by three grid so this will be the first three strips and i took it into the newspaper and not really knowing how to go about it i like went to their office i looked up their office and knocked on the door and the other edit the editors came out and they were students too i said um i have a comic strip i'd like to um submit for your paper and and it's called it was called quasar blasters and and the idea was it would just be really uh kind of schlocky cliche science fiction um about this spaceship and these people you know running basically like almost a parody of star wars and star Mm -hmm. trek and stuff like that um 
and here are some sample strips and and the editor said okay yeah we'll put that in the paper um so you'll need more in three days can you bring some more in and i was just shocked that they would just put it in the paper you know drawn in ballpoint on this piece of scrap paper and i realized that's pretty cool that was really fun to draw and maybe i could do this all year and i ended up doing it the next three years of college as a daily pretty much Um, wow it ran a single on monday a double on tuesday so two strips and a double on thursday and then a single on friday so we got six in for the week um and it that was just an amazing experience to take that on and take responsibility for it and it was totally my project the editors never they had no input yeah, I well, I really appreciated them. They they had this rule. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. They I would usually like I get home from classes, I do my homework, and then I'd start my strip for the next day, like around ten or eleven at night. And it taught me discipline too, because I'd be tired, but I'd think I've got to get my strip in, and I'd do my strip and run it in, bike over there at like midnight, and they'd all be up. Um, you know, they got I don't know, they got free pizza from one of their advertisers, and they'd have the television on, and they'd all be. I don't know if they stayed up all night or what. And I'd go over there, and when I started, we were photocopying it and cutting it out and pasting it onto the newspaper. And then by the end, we were scanning it and submitting it that way. Um, but it, there was a sense of camaraderie in the newsroom among these student editors and, and writers. And, uh, and there was also... Well, they also had this requirement that if you were on the comics page, you had to do illustrations for the newspaper. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so I, I decided, look, I'm really busy. I'm doing my, I'm studying, I'm doing all these classes, I'm doing my comic strip. I don't have time to illustrate like a, uh, I didn't say this, I was just thinking this. Man, I don't have time to illustrate um, a story about the new library someone wants to build. What am I going to draw, a, a giant book or something? I don't know. Um, so I decided, all right, my, my strip's a sci-fi strip. Any illustration I do has to have giant robots or skeletons or monsters (laughs) or spaceships in it or or all of them at once or zombies um actually i had some really fun ones that had skeleton armies in it um just trying to work that into the story in any way possible and the editors when i'd roll in at like midnight and they give me my assignment i think they just they didn't want to fight about it so (laughs) so i got to do some really fun illustration work for the paper doing that Mm mm-hmm um, and that and that just doing that for three years just really that sets uh, a routine for you. Yeah, yeah. You've got to keep track of your time, and you you've got to step back from your project constantly and sort of look at it and say, wait a minute. All right, so this strip I really like, but does it make sense in the whole? And where am I going with this? And finals are coming up, and good good for practicing stress management. And um, and at the end of it, I, I published my own book of them and put it together it was like 150 pages of um this this sci-fi strip that in the storyline took like a a week to tell and uh, (laughs) it was just a really good experience of course i knew nothing about the comics world and and no i had no you know tools to hook it up hook up this product with a comic shop or a convention or people beyond just the readers in the paper themselves so that was interesting too and then and then i just kind of uh i did a couple zines and things after that but for the next few years i I didn't really do any comics it was sort of like oh i just ran a marathon i'm gonna i'm not gonna do any for a while why don't we take a quick song break 
Sure. And then when we get back in, we can go right into what it is you're doing now to kind of see the the parallels. Bring us so up to say. date. Bring, bring, bring us up to date. So we'll be right back. Ink Studs uh, talking with Merrick Bennett, and we'll be right back. Slowly through this task I will earn some rest If I I will do my best I'm sad To see Things change For you were such good
CITR's Scenic Drive, every Friday morning, 10 a.m. till noon, CITR. And we're back, Ink Studs, CITR 101.9 FM. This is the radio show about what, Merrick? What do we talk about on this show? Uh, skateboard zines and uh, Star Wars. And, and comics. comics. Yeah. <laughs> lots uh, of comics. Lots of comics. I love comics. It's an unfortunate bug that seems to hook people in like some kind of foul louse. I don't know if that's an accurate description or portrayal. Um, a, a, a magnificent habit. A magnificent habit. I think that's something Willie S. Burroughs would say. <laughs> it builds a, a healthy <laughs> bones and a lustrous complexion. Especially when you start lifting them. Yeah. The boxes. Right. Not yeah, light. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I just got back from SPX, and I, oh. I, I'm much more muscly now after carrying around all those comics in my backpack. The wonderful small press, bleh, small press expo of uh, not-so-lovely Bethesda, Maryland. The, the comic convention where people go to hang out in the hotel. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were, we were walking. I told a bunch of people this at the convention. We, I went and um, met up with some friends of mine from Spain who just happened to be in town the, the day before the convention. And I said, oh, let's go. Just, we'll just walk washington dc we'll go everywhere and we walked up and down the mall and went to all the branches of government and all this great stuff and right in the center of the mall they were getting ready for the national book fair national book expo yeah is that it i think so and they had all these tents and each tent had this big fluttering banner at the, uh, atop it that said mysteries thrillers or uh, romance or nonfiction, um and I guess that would be a huge category. Uh, <laughs> and, yep. And I guess we weren't there. We were at the small press expo Saturday and Sunday, but I guess the idea was you could just walk along the mall and go from tent to tent and meet all these authors and publishers, and they had tons of tables and books there. And I just thought, wow, tomorrow, well, Saturday and Sunday, I'm going up to the small press expo, which is really which is this wonderful, vibrant comics community, but it's really cloistered away in this convention center way outside of town. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be cool to have it in some really public place where non-comics readers just walk through the tables and see all this cool stuff and, and maybe have some help? You know, Maybe it would have to be organized a little differently, but have some help getting to the comics that are going to turn them onto comics and make them say, hey, this is a living... Mm-hmm valuable art form you know well that's the whole it's kind of like each convention has its uh, ups and downs and kind of i guess the point of spx is it is specifically internal community based where oh um somewhere like tcaf is more along the lines of what you're looking at as it's a festival toronto comic art festival where they're in the middle of toronto like the heart of toronto at uh, young and bluer which is like um it's in the middle of everything that's where you know the subways meet and it's young employers it's like the quintessential canadian intersection huh. um and that kind of gives you that context of being part of this massive you know within the city but having be really accessible it's a free convention um and you can almost say that uh san diego is becoming something like that oh yeah in some yeah. disturbing way <laughs> Right, yeah, not so. It, it, I haven't been to San Diego, and I'd love. I, I want to get to the Toronto one someday. Um, it's more like not so much a destination as a part of the city itself, and mm-hmm. 
you yeah. can sort of pass through it. Yeah, the Toronto one, it's like perfect. Like I really enjoyed it, and I had fun when I went to SPX. We're not going to slag those guys because no, they a great put on show, they put on yeah. a great show. In front of her this year it was spectacular for folks, except for the uh, massive cold that came upon exhibitors. Right. And apparently, it was freezing. Germ sharing. I, I meant actual temperature wise was oh, cold. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, well, I you know I I have a friend. Uh, my friend Ann Thalheimer was selling her monster hats, and I had the suspicion that she was responsible for the sudden drop in temperature because her hat sales <laughs> went right up, skyrocketed. Yeah, those and those lumberjack beards. Yeah, that's right. Between the two of them, you could come up with a good life-saving outfit. There we go. Staying warm in the cold. Um, now, your most well, the, the project I'm most intrigued by. Um, out of your work is the Nicaragua Comics Journal and the Comics Exchange that you're involved in. Yeah, let's yeah. let's talk about that. There's tell yeah, me that, about that, that. That that's sort of the project I'm most intrigued by too. Because <laughs> you know you go you go along. I mean, as artists, we have intentions and you have goals and plans, and then suddenly a year or two later, you find your work doing something you didn't intend it to at all and, and growing in these interesting ways and, and not growing in other ways. So it's it's just so fun to step back, like I was saying before, step back and try to look at the overall shape of it. Um, and this, is, this has been a really exciting project to see growing out of a lot of different parts of my life and, and my community and other people's lives, too. You got the, uh, I sent you the book, right? Yeah, yeah, and I read that over the last couple of days. Oh, um, good. It, it's not a, not a little book. No. <laughs> I was pretty surprised. Um, why don't you tell us about, because you do teaching, I guess. Yeah. Is that your main vocation, is a teacher, or? Uh, right now, mostly it's teaching comics. Um, I do, I, I kind of figure, I think comics got me into teaching because I was, First, I, I started doing summer programs for comics before I was teaching, and that got me really excited about working with kids because, I mean, just kids are just the best cartoonists in the world, you know? <laughs> the best storytellers and the best artists, um, but you, you, it, it's so fragile in our society. Mm -hmm. um, and I just realized, boy, I really, really like that aesthetic that is done quickly but with an incredible amount of care you know how kids artwork has that yeah um and and i really like that aesthetic and i try to capture that energy in my own work and and one way to one way to keep in touch with that is just work with a lot of kids so um so i was doing summer programs and and then i decided you know i just i want to do this all the time i want to teach and so i became a an elementary school teacher and taught third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade over a period of several years just in the past uh in the past four or five years sort of a different grade level every couple years um and but the the past year and this year um that's become more i've, I've scaled that down and instead of teaching full-time i just i teach music now uh two days a week which is just a great excuse to strap on a guitar and go <laughs> hang out with a bunch of really enthusiastic singers and, and dancers. Um, and then the rest of the time I, I do my comics education programs and other things too. But mm -hmm. um, that, it, so it, it's, 
a teaching artist, I guess, is the career path. And you you end up um, getting on rosters with various agencies that can write grants and, and doing a lot of promotion in the sense of, like, emailing a lot of people and um, and constantly looking around for new things to do and and new uh i don't want to say markets because i'll sound like an mba or something but um, (laughs) but new places to practice your love of comics um with all sorts of people and organizations and one of the things that came up uh, in that in that sort of constant i guess it's it's sort of like a diary comic makes you always look at your life as material for comics and when you're teaching under your own power, like a freelance teaching artist, you're always looking for ways to bring comics into different places. Mm-hmm. And my hometown has this sister community project with a town down in Nicaragua, um, which I had visited twice in, I guess, 99 after Hurricane Mitch. I was down there, and in 2001, we, um, I was down there for a few months doing, uh, we did a folk music festival down there. Um, and then I guess I was just looking around for places to teach comics and I, I happened to I went to a couple meetings of the Sister Community Project and thought I've got to get involved with these folks again they're doing really great stuff it's a solidarity group um, and then I thought wow wait a minute you know we can we can we can connect these two here the comics and uh, and connecting people between communities and, and learning about each other's community. And the more, it was just one of those things where once, once you start to, um, once you start to put pieces together, they all start fitting and it gets bigger and bigger. Um, and it's just been a really exciting project to be involved in. So the basic, I guess I should describe the project, right? Yeah. Um, the basic idea is that kids up here in New Hampshire and kids, down there in in San Ramon in northern Nicaragua, there are two uh, towns that are similar in many ways in being rural towns, um, and the kids in let's see how to say it the kids up here in Henniker will draw mini comics about their community. Um, you know what what is important to you in your community? What do you want to share with a stranger about your community? Uh, what's a story you can tell about your community? And the kids down there in San Ramon, Nicaragua, do the same about their communities, which are uh, radically different and then similar in some ways. Um, and and then we uh, we do delegations and bring the comics back and forth. And where we couldn't bring 20 kids down there to visit and meet people, we can bring hundreds of copies of the comics they draw down to San Ramon. And... It's almost as if you know how personal comics can be, especially yeah. when drawn by young artists who are playing with the form and discovering it. Um, it's it's almost as if they have this pen pal relationship, but it's more than that because they're producing the comics for their town and for their neighbors and friends and family, and also for this other town that's far away. And then they get to read the comics from that other town. Does like, that make sense? Yeah. The, okay. the the thing I find interesting when kids make their own comics is that they they're unfamiliar with the medium. Yeah. So it doesn't, there's no, you know, expectations in what they're creating. Right. Right, right. They genre and form and style and voice and everything just, I mean, everything is new to them. 
and so they make mistakes that professional artists would never make, and so their comics <laughs> are so much more exciting. You know, those those mistakes that where you just say, wow, that's a great way to do it. I, I noticed, I don't know, uh, you know, psychologists um, have, there's this field of psychology, I guess, uh, called art therapy, where you can learn a lot about a person by the way they, they play or they draw things and create artwork. Um, and it's it's just wonderful to look at. I feel like this is, looking at the kids' artwork, it's these little windows into their societies and their cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so amazing to look over their shoulders as they're drawing and creating. We took a lot of notes about what happened in the classroom and, and the conversations we went through as the kids asked questions and tried things out and discovered things about their comics. And then when you look at the final product, it tells you so much about where they're coming from. It's just really incredible. Um, and I posted some on my website, I guess. And, and hopefully this book that you have is the first piece. Um, I guess I should say it, it's, it's a book of about 200 pages that I drew uh, during our two-week. It, it covers about 10 days of a, a delegation we did down to San Ramon to teach in the schools there. Um, which means just visiting different classrooms, um, linking up with teachers and visiting schools and classrooms, and doing a little two- to three-hour comics workshop with the students down there in Spanish uh, and helping, sort of not telling them how to draw comics, but helping them to create each student a a page of comics Mm -hmm. about their community. Um, And while we were doing that, I realized, well, these kids are doing all this work and creating comics under not under a deadline pressure really but with limited time with one to three hours really to draw their page i should be doing the same thing and documenting this process with a similar approach so i started a little travel journal and i thought it would be 30 or 40 maybe 50 pages to tell the story of this trip and and as i worked on it it just grew and grew until i got back from the trip and kept working on it another three weeks or so um always really fast, always just working, sort of like I do 24-hour comics, just with a pen directly to paper, getting ideas down and not, not over-editing, not, not over-questioning anything, sort of in, in the way the kids work on their projects, too. Um, An important part of that was having a level of immediacy when doing it so you don't forget anything. Right, yeah. And I had to make a decision early on. Am I going to spend half my time on this trip drawing so that I can document the other half of the trip, or um, or will I let myself do it outside the trip? And I realized really early on, there's no way I could do it all during the trip. So I took uh, pretty detailed notes as sort of like bulleted lists about all the things I wanted to remember, um, phrases, specific impressions and, and experiences, um, names and facts and figures, and of course, as you get into the work after the trip, you realize how much you just didn't capture, and there's so much to life. If you if you can just open yourself up to the moment and experience it, the comic would be <laughs> sixteen thousand pages. So it, it it was a really interesting process to say, what do I prioritize and what do I put into this book so that in it, I figured it would end up being about two hundred as sort of sort of a cutoff. Um, so that in this book experience, the reader will get the dual experience of reading through your travel journal and also 
thanks to the comics and, and the style of the style in which I drew it and the, and, and, um, the reading experience of comics, hopefully they'll feel like they were there for part of it and really met some of the people and, uh, and got to know the community that we were visiting. What do you think is important about kind of using comics medium to document instead of photography, yada, yada? Yeah, they're, they're, uh, well, we took a lot of photos. Mm-hmm. We did do that. Um, I, I think they work really well together, uh, and that's what I'm, I'm doing. A little—it's not so much a tour as just a cluster of events around the Northeast this fall, doing some libraries and, and shops and stuff, um, presenting this combo slideshow. Well, not a slideshow. This combo presentation of photographs, PowerPoint. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I'll try. I used to use that, and I thought it was great for. <laughs> few months and then i realized uh no i i I like to have a flexible presentation style Mm -hmm. i used to prepare and prepare and set everything up and then i'd realize i'd get halfway through the presentation and i'd have no idea what was coming next because i can't keep it all in my head at once but if we have sort of a discussion format and i have all the materials just there i can sort of open up whatever the audience seems to be responding to open things up look through them and um so i actually i don't i sort of jumped out of the straitjacket of PowerPoint. <laughs> um, but it, it, the presentation has a lot of photos, a lot of um, pages from the comics journals, and also the artwork of the kids, mm-hmm. which I didn't put into the book because there was no way I could collect copyrights from hundreds of kids scattered all over the countryside in two countries. And, um, and so we're, we're going to do a collection of the kids' artwork, but it'll be under the Sister Community Project. Mm-hmm. For, um, so it won't really be my project. It won't be like, I'm Merrick Bennett, and here's some here's comics the- that I got kids to draw for me. Yeah. Here's my kids. Right. The one comic I did include in the book was one that I drew with the kids, um, where they're, you remember they're showing how to make the cornbread. Mm-hmm. And that was the first comic we drew with the kids when we got there. And it was just, it's such a great way to learn about how to make cornbread or how um, they pronounce their Spanish because they would spell the words to me. And, and I'd think, okay, I saw that word in my high school Spanish textbook, and that's totally not how you spell it. But to them, that's how they spell it because that's how they pronounce it. Yeah. Um, and so it was just this great experience. I thought, I can put that in because I worked on the comic. Mm-hmm. But the others are all the kids' work, and, and there's some great stuff there, um, some pretty intense stuff. Some of them did. Um, but some of those are out on the website just to share the project. Uh, what was I going to say? I was. It's a lot of different issues the kids are dealing with there. Yeah, and, and so much depends on how you phrase the project. Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean, in the book, it, it shows, it takes you into the classroom on a few different days and shows how our, how our program changed a little, whether I was doing it alone or whether it was all three of us. Um, my friends Jason and Ian came on the delegation with me and brought a ukulele and we <laughs> throughout the week we sort of realized wow that using the ukulele is actually pretty important doing some music um, not being afraid to make a little bit of a fool of yourself so you know in a good way so the kids can can sing with you and get to know you that way non-verbally through the mm-hmm. music um, so we added that part in and um, and it changed but basically we presented as we come from the north uh at your your town sister community in the north, and we have brought um, some comics from our students, 
who are your age, more or less. And, um, and we'd like to draw some comics with you so that we can learn about your community. And, uh, and then, we, when you, then we'll make a photocopy of your comics. You'll keep the original, and we'll give you a copy of these comics from the kids in the North. You can choose one of these, and we put out all these mini-comics. <laughs> and it was great to see them looking at them, trying to figure out these are mini-comics that were written in English yeah. about kids in New England uh, and then translated by high schoolers in the town also. So the translations, they, they're, they're, they're great translations. These honor student, um, honor level high school Spanish language students translated them. But of course they're not colloquial to Nicaragua. Um, so the kids would pick them up and look through them and make their decisions and then walk out slowly reading through this mini comic and we'd encounter them in the streets reading through this mini comic <laughs> trying to figure out my gosh is this is this how people live up there and uh and and boy i recognize that and what is this a drawing of you, you really you learn so much about your own town when you see other people trying to figure it out <laughs> we don't have very much time i guess we have about three minutes um but i thought we should make mention of your ongoing project the uh mimi's donuts the uh, yeah Mimi's donut scene. Sure, that's that's one of them. I mean, the the comics exchange project is ongoing. Also, um, actually, next Tuesday we're starting the next round of workshops here in Henniker. Oh, okay. And we're going to do this time. We're going to add in some family pro- uh, family nights and and bring parents and kids together to make some comics. And you have a pretty strong support within the community you live in. Like a lot of folks who comics isn't part of their life, but this whole community exchange is right. Not, uh, yeah, we have wonderful support from them. I don't, there there hasn't been much comics work going on in the community. Um, and it, and so these kids are all coming to it pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, they know anime. They in, in New Hampshire, they know anime. They know Naruto. Some manga and stuff like that. Right, right. And in Nicaragua, they we'd ask them, they, they know Garfield and a couple sort of mainstream <laughs> things like that, but they never read it because they can't afford the paper at all, and it's, it's way out, out of their price range. Um, but they know what it is, but really the kids are coming to it pretty fresh, which is so exciting to see. And, and once families and neighbors see these kids working for a couple months every Friday after school working on this project, they they see them hooked and see them doing this creative work and they say well you know uh, let's let's get involved let's uh, come help do snacks at the big reception um, we had a delegation of Nicaraguan students come up and um, come up and visit and do some folk dances and draw comics with us and and had this town wide reception that was a really great focus sounds amazing but yeah the other the other piece I do which which I've been doing for much longer and um, which which has become one of several of those projects is, is the newspaper strips that I do, yeah. The self-syndicated uh, weekly sort of alternative comics, I guess, for, well, for mainstream newspapers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in New England here. And that is uh, Mimi's Donuts, or Breakfast at Mimi's. Uh, is this strip actually called Mimi's Donuts or Breakfast at Mimi's? Mimi's Donuts, yeah. Okay. My, my wife, Denise, um, she grew up in Claremont, New Hampshire, and... Uh, and and we and and her family ran this small town donut shop there. Ah. And, uh, and so we go and they ran a couple diners in, in town, I guess, at different years. And they moved away and came back. And it's this, it's this um, 
old mill town that has, you know, an opera house in this really grand downtown. And when all the mills closed, it's hit some hard times that it's probably just now coming out of. Um, and it's it's just a really, a really evocative place, I find, mm-hmm. as I walk around. It's a great place with all these stories um, on so many different levels. And then a donut shop, a small town donut shop is, is such a, such an amazing place at this point in history when when so much business is focused around huge companies and franchises that come from out of town and health and, and health, <laughs> sure sure i mean you want to eat the donut but also you know you should eat the celery and um so that's been another project sort of like the science fiction that i did in college that just totally got away with me i was remembering as we told that story it, it was called quasar blasters and i had this whole grand plan of how they get to the edge of the universe and encounter the quasars that nobody knew what they were. I was in the physics department at that time and really into <laughs> astronomy. And of course, it just, over the three years I did it, I just got through like a week instead of years and years of the comic, and, and they never even got off the star system. They were trapped on, and, and but, but the characters, I got more into the characters and developing them. And that's what's going on, I think, in the donut shop. I, I figured there would be some big story... Um, about the donut shop, but really it's more, I'm discovering week by week as I do the strips, it's more about just the people and the community around it. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I tie in, it gives me a chance, because I live in a small town where there used to be mills, and gosh, there used to be a bakery, and now there's a franchise on the outside of town. And, um, and it gives me a, a good chance to just work in all these issues that come up in small towns nowadays. And, uh, like I like I tell a lot of people, the best stories, the the craziest, most out there, least believable stories, are usually the ones that I just took exactly from real life, and and a lot of real life stories I couldn't even put in there because it wouldn't be believable. Uh, but Breakfast at Mimi's is the the, the Zarek book that um, just came out. It's been a I guess a three book year so far. It has, as I was saying, it's a handful of stuff to chat about. It's been busy. It's been busy. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with me today Mark. sure um unfortunately it is the the end of the hour and i must move on to the next show so thank you so much for joining me and yeah. i look forward to more comics sure can i give the website yes indeed it's, it's merrickbennett.com i guess you'll link the your your i will m-a-r-e-k-b-e-n-n-e-t-t.com and yeah thanks a lot for uh calling up and and good luck with your shows thank you very much Mark. Okay. Uh, have a good day. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Um, just run a couple minutes overtime, so I'll be quick here. Uh, up next is uh, Japanese Music West, and after that is the French Connection, and then, or the Connection de Francais. Um, after that is 24 Hours of Music Radio Hell, which will be 24 hours of live music coming out of here at CITR. So be sure to check in and take a listen. I'm sure you'll hear something you like. Um, and if you don't, then you don't like music. Does that mean? I hope not. Um, stay tuned. Cinework.
Network's Independent Filmmaker Society presents a series of cinematic salons with Vancouver International Film Festival artists between October 4th and 15th. In its 15th year, Meet the Filmmakers is about the realization of ideas and the revelation of process. These informal and insightful panel discussions with filmmakers attending the festival provide an opportunity for the festival audience to engage in meaningful dialogue with the visionaries of modern cinema. Meet the Filmmakers is brought to you by Cineworks, the documentary organization of Canada BC Chapter and the Praxis Center for Screenwriters and Women in Film and Television. Salons are free. Just bring your love of film and prepare to be inspired. Visit cineworks.ca for up-to-the-minute information. Young and new, better get ready for judgment. 